So we're going to start off and study the book of Galatians. I, I left off somewhere, and I'm not even going to try to go back there. I'm, a, I'm wiping that stuff out of my mind. I'm forgetting everything I can, mostly because I'm 59 and I can't help it. So Galatians is just a fascinating book. It's one of the favorite. And uh, we're going to kind of intro it in today. And as we begin Galatians, and, and it takes about probably, you know, I would encourage you to read it once a week till we get through it. It takes about 15, 20 minutes uh, for our deacons, maybe half an hour. I don't know how that works. So I haven't picked on you guys in a while. I've missed that. So, you know, that camaraderie we have, if I say things about you and you can't really do anything in reply. So... Um, the book of Galatians, the, the key thing is who wrote it, who received it, when, when it was written, and what was the purpose of it. This is the book that Paul wrote. There's this really, you know, there's no question he wrote. I mean, if you're a pastor like me, there's no question he wrote any of his books. But sometimes people question whether Paul wrote a book. But this is kind of generally accepted Paul, Paul wrote Galatians. And he wrote it for the reason, and we're going to get into this in a, a little more detail in a few moments, because this church, these churches were having people come in and lead them astray by a different gospel. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this morning in a few moments. And this, this is just what it's about. What's interesting is when was it written, who was it written to? And, and the, this is a fascinating thing uh, to look at a little bit because there's a lot of disagreement. The truth of the matter is when he wrote it, and the exact group of people he wrote it to has no bearing on the meaning of the book. But since a lot of you get on the internet and you research this stuff, I'm going to deal with it for a few moments. Um, in the book of Galatians, because Paul is dealing with this church, or these churches actually, it helps to put it in historical context. In the book of Acts, Paul gets saved in chapter 9. And, uh, and, and later on, we know that Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. That's the first time he visits Jerusalem. They kind of, Paul, not Paul and Barnabas, just Paul. He, he, he went to Damascus. He learned a few things. After a period of about three years, he came to Jerusalem. That's important because when we go through the book of Galatians, you're going to see Paul make references to, to, to trips here, to what he was doing in his life, and the historical context comes into picture. Uh, we know later that um, Paul and Barnabas, from uh, uh, the end of chapter 11 through about the end of chapter 12 in Acts, they were, they were in Jerusalem during that period of time for uh, uh, bringing an offering to the church there. And, then we, and, and that was quite a few years later. And then we know in chapter 15 uh, that Paul was there for the Jerusalem conference, which is important. I'm going to get there in a minute. I tell you that because we know that there are three trips to Jerusalem that are made, and the book of Galatians talks about two of them, which kind of gives us some insight into dating and what's going on. In the 13th and 14th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas go to the area of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And in that time, he leads primarily Gentiles to a place of faith. Uh, and that area he went to of Asia Minor is also known in some of the provinces. They have different names. Part of it is Galatia, the, the province of Galatia. There's, two, there's a couple interesting things about Galatia or the Galatians. In northern Turkey, there was a group of people who were ethnically descendants from the area of Gaul over in Europe. They came about 300 B.C. and they whipped up on the people that were living there and took them over. Eventually, 
there became a province. 300 years is a long time before. You know, 300, three years before this was written, that's a long time, by the way. You know, I mean, the Constitution, you know, the Declaration is oh, 200. You know, that's not even 300 years ago. It's like 250. I mean, it's, it's a long time. So eventually, they settled in the southern part of Turkey, and the Romans called that the area of Galatia. That southern part of Turkey is where Paul went in 13 or 14th chapter of Acts to lead them to salvation and start churches. When he left there, we know from Acts that immediately Jewish people, Jewish believers went to tell them that that was fine and good that they came to Christ, but they needed to add the Jewish law, primarily circumcision. And so with that in mind, there was a battle going on about whether or not the Gentiles had to be Jewish in order to be saved. That the grace of Christ, faith, was not enough. It was the starting point, but it was not enough. The 15th chapter of Acts, this is the issue. And I, a while back, I don't know it was, I preached a lot from there. Paul comes to Jerusalem. And he gets with Peter and John and James, the brother of Jesus, who's now the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And the Judaizers, that's the name given to people who say you've got to add the Jewish law to faith. They're called Judaizers because they're adding Judaism. They're there to make their case. And the apostles, you know, you know Paul speaks and Peter speaks. And James speaks. And James basically says, you don't have to add the law and circumcision to be saved. This is what he says. This is a fantastic verse. It is in Acts 15. I think, I, I want to say it's the 18th verse, but I may be wrong. I don't know. It's so fantastic, I can't remember what it was. But here's it is. Don't make it difficult for the Gentiles to be saved. Now, how many times have you heard me say, we can't make it difficult for lost people to be saved? He says they don't have to follow Jewish law. Now, he says they need to abstain from immorality and from other pagan practices that are offensive to Jews, but they're pagan practices and being with pagans, you know, like strangling the animal and cooking its blood and all that stuff. So this is critical. This, this basically is Paul's whole argument in Galatians, that you can't add the Jewish law to grace for the purpose of salvation. Now, when did the Jerusalem conference occur? Probably 48, 49 AD. So it stands to reason now that when people date the book, they dated all, all sorts of different place times. Some date the book in the late 50s because they think it was written to the northern people in the northern Turkey. But, but most, especially conservatives, kind of reject that and say, no, it was written to the southern. There's reason for it. As we go through the book, you'll see it. So the question is, was it written before or after the Jerusalem conference? Some say it was written right after, about 50-51. Here's the thing, though. If the whole purpose of the Jerusalem conference was because Judaizers had come to the area of the Galatians to tell them they had to add the law to faith and grace, if you wrote a book dealing with the same subject after a conference came about that says they don't have to, don't you think you might have mentioned that conference in your book? I do. Now, a lot of people say, no, it wasn't necessary. I just, I just go that way. So most likely, this was written just right before the conference. Does that matter to understanding the book? No, 
But I know you're going to get online, some of you, and do a bunch of research, but, and so you need to know this. But it also helps in clarifying as we go through the book. We're studying from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. That's my preferred version, the English translation. I think it's the best literal translation of the Greek into the English. Um, if you read that translation in some of the, some of the, the Bible, some of the New, New American Standard, that are whatever form they take, in the beginning of chapter 2, when Paul's talking about going to Jerusalem, they say that's for the Jerusalem conference. And I wish they wouldn't do that because what they're basically saying is that uh, Galatians was written after that conference. And it was, you know, that, that kind of throws that off. So when you go to chapter 2, it says that. Just ignore that. So that, that kind of gives us that intro. Now, what was the real issue? The issue was very simple. There's a twofold problem. Paul deals with it right off the bat. They question Paul's apostolic authority, whether or not he was a true apostle. Paul's not one of the real apostles. He's not Peter and he's not John because he wasn't one of the original 12. He's not James because he's not ahead of the church in Jerusalem. He's not Jesus' brother. So Paul's got to deal with this apostolic authority. And the second thing is they began quickly to add Jewish works to grace. And they were messing up the people at Galatia. What is at stake is the gospel. And so Paul's going to talk immediately about the gospel, the evangelion, the evangelistic message. To Paul, the gospel, and this is, this is so critical, it is a historical event. Now, the, the cross, Jesus going to the cross, that gospel, you know, the gospel, Paul defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 as Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried, was raised back to life on the third day according to the scriptures, and was seen again. He lists people, including Peter himself and James. So to him, the gospel <clears throat> is a historical book, a historical event. It is foundational to all that we believe. And it is the one thing above all, supernatural. It was God working. So we got that. So with that in mind, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, unapostable, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. This is a pretty standard, typical way of writing letters. Paul, others did it. It was common back then. From A to B, C. From this person to this person. Greetings. We don't write that way. We normally say to you, you know, my dear friend, beloved, uh, whoever you may be. We put a content and then we say, we sign off. You know, truly yours, you know, love in, in Christ, whatever. So we, they don't do it different. They put the name of who it's from, who it's to, and the greetings. So here's what Paul says. He says, Paul, and notice, he says, an apostle, apostello, apostelion, right off the bat. He's saying, I'm an apostle. Now, we need to we recognize that the apostles were a very limited group of men. And, you know, they were all men. That's the way it was. We have people today that think that there's still an apostolic, you know, succession, an apostolic tradition. Some churches have apostles. Yeah, that's fine. It ain't right. The apostles were the original 12. And, that, and some people have a few more than others. It was James, the brother of Jesus. It was Jude, the brother of Jesus. And it was Paul, maybe Barnabas. And some would say, you know, they added Matthias in Acts, you know, whatever. 
But to be an apostle, you, you had to be called by Jesus for that purpose, and you really had to have seen the resurrected Christ. And Paul saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. You know, Christ called Paul in a very unique way. No one in all of humanity has ever been called by Jesus like Paul. Happened once. That was it. All needed to happen. So Paul says, I'm an apostle. His credentials are not based or authenticated by other people. In fact, what you have in verse 1 and 2 is the authority of Paul. 3, 4, and 5 is the authenticity of Paul. Uh, when, when I was a younger a minister growing up, you know, and going to seminary, there's a certain way they taught. We talked a lot about authority. What was the authority? What was the authority? Our authority is the word of God, all of that. We didn't focus much on authenticity, but we're living in a day and age now where the authenticity of what's said or the realness or the reality becomes important. So, if you, you know, when you, a lot of times throughout the course of a year, I'll preach messages, and in those messages, several times a year, I will, I will mention authority and authenticity because they're both important. Paul had an authority. The authority was that he was an apostle. Why? Because he was sent not by any man. He didn't owe anything to Peter or to James or to John. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, by the way, who raised him from the dead. So he makes it clear who did it. He also is coming from all the brothers who were with him to all the churches in Galatia. Not just one church, all the churches. Then verse 3, 4, and 5, there's a sense of authenticity his typical kind of greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. So the God who called him as apostle and the Lord Jesus who called him as an apostle. And by the way, Paul frequently uses the full title of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord coming from the Greek word which means ultimately the Savior or it is, is the link to the deity um, to, to, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God... Uh, his name Yahweh is the name Lord. The name Lord is Yahweh. And it's the personal God. It speaks of his, of his deity. In, in the New Testament, the word Lord is actually a very generic word that just means you know, boss or whatever. So we think of it as, you know, there's British royalty. They have Lord this and Lord that. Uh, Lord Vader in Star Wars. Maybe that's a better uh, in some section. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Uh, you know, um, we lord it over someone. You know, we, we're over them. But really the connotation of the context of Jesus Christ speaks of the deity. He is the Lord, Jesus, his earthly name, Yesu, which is the Savior, and Christ, Christos, which is the title Messiah. This is the fullest title given to Jesus. So the one who called him is also the one to whom they have grace and peace. Grace, the fundamental you know, concept behind our salvation uh, it, is, it is that which we do not deserve. Peace is peace with God. Peace basically is, it's not so much the absence of conflict, but it is being at one with God. Even in the, you can be in the midst of conflict and have peace because you are at peace with God. Peace comes to and from God, spills out to others. He says in the churches, I mean, in Lord Jesus, notice this gives him the authenticity. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. That's the fundamental message of Paul. That's the authentic message of the gospel. He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the evil age. He might save us. The evil age is the age in opposition to God. 
the world is always in the evil age. I'm, I'm, doing, um, I'm doing some study in another area. I'm, I'm thinking about next um, summer when we do, what's that thing I do called deep fry? When we do deep fry, I'm thinking about doing it on Revelation. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to figure all that out. I've got charts and graphs I'm working to develop to figure all that out. Just if you ever see me with a chart or a graph dealing with the end times, I've had a stroke. <laughs> Staff knows to call somebody. But there's the concept of, of evil. When, when is the evil? And I would suggest to you that we ought to recognize from Genesis 3 till the Lord comes again, is a, there is an evil age. There is a working of evil in opposition to God. Paul says, Jesus pulls us out of that. He saves us from that. That is the authentic message that is brought. So he says, who gave himself for our sins, he might rescue us from the evil age according to the will of God our Father. To him be glory forevermore. That's the beginning. Normally at this point, Paul will say, you know, peace to you, or he'll pray, I mean, he'll pray for you, or I thank God for you, and I do this. He is so ticked at the Galatians. He skips all that. And he comes to what may be the strongest words you will find in any of the letters. I mean, the first letter written, first letter written is probably James. The first letter Paul writes is, is some of his strongest language. He says, I am amazed, means I am dumbfounded. I am astonished. You are so quickly deserting him. He caught you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So quickly you desert him. Now, when he says quickly deserting him, what does that mean? Does that mean that Paul is astonished because in relationship to when they've been saved, he, they're quickly deserting him? Or is he astonished because when the Judaizers come, they so quickly believe the message? It doesn't really matter. I would go with the first, but it doesn't matter. Now understand, go back to Acts. 13, 14th chapter of Acts, they come to faith. Paul, Paul comes back to Antioch, and immediately upon coming back to Antioch, where's his headquarters, Judaizers have gone into Galatia and turned it up. It's immediate, and they hightail it on down to Jerusalem to get this resolved. Now, by the way, Paul did not owe the guys at Jerusalem. He was just trying to get them on their side. If they didn't agree with him, Paul would have like, whatever, I'm going my own way. I mean, Paul knew what the gospel was. It is for a different gospel. You think that set in? Because he's fixing to make another comment about that. A different gospel, a gospel that is not the one they gave to you. The word gospel is the word good news. It is, it is the message. It is, it is the core set of what we believe. The gospel is that, that teaching. It is, it is that sense of, of what we, we understand. It is the message. It is all that. It is a core of doctrines. It's based on the fact that Jesus died and came back to life. That is the gospel. They are deserting it. Some of the, some of the old time uh, commentators, they become turncoats, rebels, traitors. He says it's a different gospel, which in verse seven he says, it's not really a different one or another. In other words, just what he's saying. 
you are being led astray to a different gospel, but the truth is it's not different at all because it's not a gospel. It's not really a different gospel because it's not good news. It's not a different gospel because it's not the core set of beliefs. So we live in a time, I don't have a lot of time. We live in a time where so many people take the message of Jesus and they distort it or they twist it or they change it. And so we hear all these different types of gospels. And so there's a prosperity gospel. There is a social gospel. This is what's called a, a, a progressive gospel. And then, and then there's multiple types of gospels. And when you read all of these gospels, they all do something. They tweak, they change, they add to that central message. They're not gospels at all. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee you that any time there is an adjective before the word gospel or a descriptive of gospel. It is not gospel. Now, if it's just a, if it's just a vernacular like, you know, um, some organization has their gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in reference to Jesus. They have taken the core and they've put a spin on it. I've said this a million times. Christianity is so very, very simple. It's not easy. Simple. Two different things. It is very simple. Jesus died in our place and on our behalf and took our sins upon him. God raised him back to life. And whoever, by the grace of God, through that grace, takes the faith God has and accepts Christ as Savior, is saved. Ain't nothing else you need to do. And by the way, so I'll just go real bad, but once you're saved, you're always saved. You know, John MacArthur's in the media a lot right now. I know some people don't like John MacArthur. I don't know why. I don't agree with everything he said. I'll tell you this. The most influential book I read in my life, and I've told you before, is The Cross of Christ by John R. W. Stott. It changed my understanding of ministry. The second most influential book I've ever read is The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. Now, you know, I don't agree with everything MacArthur. MacArthur's a phenomenal guy. My wife, I didn't know he said this. My wife uh, told me this. John MacArthur said, if you could lose your faith, you would. Like, yeah, that's brilliant. If you could lose your faith, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Why? Because we're sinners who rebel against God. So Paul says you are adding to this gospel. I got I to whip through verse 10. I got to go. Only there are some who are disturbing you, who are make, messing you up. The word for disturbing is the word almost to metastasize. They're disturbing you. They're corrupting you. And they want to distort or twist up the gospel. Or that's the word actually metastasized. They wanted to twist up or distort the gospel. They're perverting it. And this is what he says. This is fantastic. But even if we, that's me, or an angel from heaven, the highest, you know, if an angel came to preach, that'd be fantastic. Should preach to you a gospel contrary to what I have preached, he is to be accursed, anathema. Let me put to you, this is what Paul says. This is, I come from, from South Texas. 
This is what Paul says. They can go to hell. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what that means. You preach a gospel different than the gospel I preach, you deserve hell. You are going to hell and you are bound to hell. That's about as strong as you can say. And that's the only time in the life of the church I can ever use that phrase, go to hell. Because I'm quoting scripture. I've used it before. But that, that's what he says. Hidden through. As we say before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He doubles down on it. So Paul, he is, he is saying, these guys have come. And I gave you that simple gospel message that you were saying. We're going to see as we go through Galatians. You were saved by it. Later on, he's going to say, who bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who fooled you? What's wrong with you? He says, you quickly desert this. The, the gospel being preached to you that is not a gospel is damnable. It is, it is a counterfeit. It is from hell itself. It is an accursed. I don't know how more you can explain it. It's true of every false gospel. Every false gospel. Don't mess with the gospel. Two things you don't mess with. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with the gospel. And the gospel's big in Texas, by the way. Says the Texan. Now, get verse 10 in here. Because he's being accused of not having the authority. He's being accused of preaching for, for money and for glory. Paul says, if I'm seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I still striving, striving to please men? Here's what he says. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant, a bondservant, a doulos. I would not be in a bondservant to Christ. I have given my life to Jesus. You realize, Paul was on his way as a Pharisee to being a big, big shot. I mean, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Paul is one of the most brilliant men who have ever lived, and he is probably the most brilliant man of his day. I don't think we fully understand. Paul took Jesus and all the truth of the Gospels. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he put them in a way that defines the theology of every true believer in Christ. I don't care if you're Catholic, Protestant, charismatic, you know, evangelical, I don't care what it is. They don't all agree, but all of them come back to Paul. They may, they may, they may distort something, but they all come back to Paul. Paul was a rising superstar in Judaism. His teacher, Gamaliel, was one of the most brilliant Jewish teachers of all. You, you understand, if you understand anything about that time, the, the, the rabbis they listened to, Hillel, Shemaiah, Paul was coming into that world. He left all of that behind to be a bondservant and change to Christ. So why, why would I, why do you think I'm trying to please men? Look at the, read the book of Acts. How did this message please people? Tick them off. Fact, Paul. Now, Paul's been around when he writes this as a Christian about seventeen years plus or minus. They already have tried to kill him. Go back to Acts chapter nine. As soon as he was saved, they tried to kill him. They've been after him from the get-go. Paul says this: "I'm a servant of Christ. I'm pleasing, trying to please the Lord. And you're getting a gospel that's false, 
And he's going to spend the rest of Galatians hammering his home. So we got a few minutes. I'll always entertain questions if you have some. Slip your hand up. I'm having a hard time here, so you got to yell out the question if you have one. Make, and don't ask questions I can't answer. So, but that one. Any questions? That's all I like to say. No one? Going once? Going twice? Sold to the lady in the second row. She's an eight. She's a nine. She's a ten. I know. First row. To the first row. That's where I go. God bless you.